Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May, I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone, and I've been using it just kind of scout some things out, get, get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, though, all you got to do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. Welcome to episode 348 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Monday, May 23rd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, good Monday to you. Mm-hmm. You having a good one? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's about how Mondays feel. That's a, it, de- yeah. it deserved about that. Um, it, it is a Monday. You know, I got a case of the Mondays. I'm not even going to lie, but I'm ready to dominate for everybody, Okay. Ready to have a huge podcast. We're going to talk some interesting players today. Still taking y'all's requests. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, at Spore, at Eno Saris, at Jason Collette with some players that you want to hear us discuss, feel free to do that. Sleeperpod at gmail.com. We'll take those as well. Um, but yeah, just uh, six guys, three pitchers, three hitters that we haven't necessarily talked about that much recently, and I want to get your thoughts on. None of them are star-level players, so I think that they're kind of an interesting group. They're kind of on that border of uh, of mixed leagues in some instances, and uh, I, I find those to be the most fascinating types of players. They can be the game changers. Uh, they can be the ones that kind of turn a season if they, if they do happen to kind of keep going at their current pace if they're having success. Or they can just be waiver fodder in in the midst of a hot streak. So let's so let's jump right in. This is a guy who's been interesting before. Steve Pierce for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays. Remember he had that big breakout. What was it? Two years ago now with Baltimore, literally out of nowhere. Steve Steve Pierce was never anybody to really pay too much mind to. Uh, knocked around in Pittsburgh for a while. Um, I want to say Houston. For, for like a, a, a spell. I know he's with the Yankees. Yeah, actually, it was a three teams in one year, 2012, Baltimore, Houston, New York. Well, Baltimore is where he finally started to get going. 2013 did some things, and then 2014 had a, had almost a full season's worth of numbers, 21 homers, 293 average, 930 OPS, but only in 102 games. 
And then last year came back to earth. Now Tampa Bay signs him. And uh, we're seeing more of that 2014 version of Steve Pierce. Now he's already got seven homers. That team, by the way, is just clubbing the ball. That is about the last thing that you expect out of Tampa Bay is, is home runs. And they're getting them all up and down the lineup. And Steve Pierce has been a part of that. Uh, you know, kind of an interesting utility fielder, not the not the kind of utility man that you usually think of because he's not defense first, but he can play a little bit of second base, third base, first base, outfield in a pinch, hasn't played in the outfield this year. Are we back on the Steve Pierce train at, at age 33 and, and with some, some runway to playing time with both uh, Logan Forsyth out and then it, even when he comes back, if he, if he has to scoot to the outfield, unfortunately, Kevin Kiermeyer is now out. Uh, for, for a lengthy amount of time. So I think Pierce is going to have the leash of playing time. Is this another hot streak, or is this something worth uh, investing in? He's done some things this year that kind of, I mean, at, at 33, you wouldn't expect a peak year, but, you know, they kind of suggest that he's 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 close to it. I mean, even in a small sample like he's got, you know, he's basically pairing the best parts of the two versions of Steve Pierce that were out there. Mm-hmm. And the first version was kind of um, spray hitting uh, contact and patience guy that just people weren't sure if he had enough power and enough ability to hit righties um, to be a first baseman. And I think, you know, coming up and having ISOs around, you know, 130 and 140 and 150, um, even when you pair them with decent strikeout rates, just wasn't enough. Uh, especially when, since he didn't show great defense, it wasn't enough to make him a first baseman. You know, the, the bar is so high to be a first baseman that, um, you know, he just couldn't, he couldn't get any playing time. And if you, before, even if you count the good years that he's had, he had nine years in the big leagues before this year, and he averaged fewer than 200 plate appearances per year. And, that, and that's so not been, an accident. You know, they, 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 they're, no, not, been, they're not yeah. missing out on those extra 300 plate appearances that Steve Pierce deserved. Yeah, so I mean, that that says that the marketplace has decided what he is, and so it's very unlikely that this is going to keep going. But on the other hand, he's pairing some of that uh, patience that he had earlier. It's one of his best swing rates, uh, lowest swing rates of his career, um, and uh, you know, it's in line with his overall career numbers. But that's that's a little bit weird because he became much more aggressive with the Orioles, and he basically became an aggressive fastball seeking extreme pull hitter with the Orioles where he just, you know, wanted to jump on that first fastball he saw and drove it and drive it. So, you know, he's one of the league leaders in pull percentage. Yeah. He was Uh, so pull happy over 50% each of his three seasons with Baltimore. Yeah. That's really high. And you know, right now it's not as, uh, as crazy and it's not, you know, it's somewhere, I guess he's always been kind of pull happy, but, um, you know, anyway, the number he's got right now for pull percentage is lower than usual. So he's kind of going to center field a little bit more and, um, and he's showing great patience. So, you know, those two things together mean the best, one of the best contact rates of his career, second best contact rate of his career. Um, and, uh, what looks like is probably going to end up being one of his best strikeout rates of his career. So, you know, it could, it could be just one of those, those fabulous seasons, but, you know, the book on him is, you know, basically a first baseman like Love and a right-handed first baseman, like a right-handed platoon first baseman like Love. So that's why there hasn't uh, 
been a lot of opportunities for him. I mean, well, remember Gabby, Gabby Sanchez yeah. is, you know, was the other version of this. I, I will say, though, also, because I mentioned second base and outfield, first base might be a, a good avenue for playing time for Pierce as well because Logan Morrison ha- has been pretty darn inept with the bat. And so maybe there's a chance that, that you know, if Steve Pierce can kind of hold his own against righties, and that's kind of what he's doing right now is 731 OPS – can he can he get that some of that playing time out of Morrison? Yeah, I mean, uh, going into the season, the plan was, and I heard this from uh, people around the team, several people around the team, was for Logan Morrison to be the uh, part-time DH. Uh, so they didn't really want him to see the field, and uh, and he was only going to play against lefties. So that already that uh, already would have a, an opportunity for platooning with him at DH. But, you know, you, like you said, Morrison's in the field now, and Dickerson, who also needs a platoon bat, uh, is at DH. So no matter what, uh, he can get full-time versus lefties platoon bats. But, um, yeah, I think with, with Kiermaier out, you know, they're going to have to put Jennings in center, and that means that Brandon Geyer, um, Another you know, who's a righty, guy. yeah, and who's a righty, um, you know, is going to be probably the backup center fielder. So, and, and I guess there's Mikey Matuk too. Um, so there's, but who's also a righty. So it's this weird thing where he's now in a glut of righties that um, should see more playing time. If he was a lefty, he would jump to the top of that list. Yeah, that that would be huge for Pierce if he was a if he was a lefty. Now you, you mentioned Logan Morrison as, as a DH. He's really just missing the H part. He's designated. <laughs> it should probably be for assignment, though, not, right not for hitting. Uh, but you, like, if you look at uh, how he's playing, he's basically been a replacement for Forsyth. I mean, yeah. it's. Uh, but but you're right. A lot of first base. It's been first base, first base, first base, and then second base, second base, second base. I bet you a lot of those first base starts were against lefties. Yeah, that so, that certainly would know. not surprise me for uh, for Steve Pierce. Right so. now, though, that's like pretty much full time gig because he's a first baseman against lefties. And then he's uh, a second baseman the rest of the time with, you know, some ability to play the outfield. He's like a short-term ad, I would say. Okay, that, that was my next question. Yeah, I think a short-term ad. Uh, hope you run into some power, particularly play him against lefties. But, you know, if, you have, if you're in a weekly league, you can still play him. Uh, nice source of power plus lack of strikeouts if you're in a strikeout league. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, to some extent, there's no real thing that makes you say, God, you know, he has a 500 Babbitt or he has a 600 ISO. I mean, everything's near the top of what it could be, but it's, it's not, um, it's not so impossible. I guess the strikeout rate being 10% when his career is 20% is the weirdest thing, but sure. You know, if he, if he goes up a little bit more, goes up center field and, uh, improves his approach a little bit and then swings a less than he usually does, then yeah, that's there, how you get a better strike. At over. least there are some approach changes to go with it. It doesn't just look like yeah. happenstance that Steve Pierce uh, has this. So you said short-term ad. I think that that's the way to go with him. You know, always be looking to replace Steve Pierce. Enjoy what you get from him, <laughs> but if you find something that's better, that's don't better be afraid. Play. You know, don't don't be, always always be searching there. Don't get in a long term commitment. Don't buy Pierce that ring. It's a bad idea. He's going to hit two homers for you on a night. And you're going to go buy that ring, and you're going to regret it. Now this next guy, I might buy a ring for him because I'm a big Marcelo Zuna fan, and you know I was really hoping for a breakout last year. 
It's the daily moment of Paul whining that he was a year early on somebody. Here it is. I was a year early on somebody. Yay, me. 25-year-old uh, power power hitter, center fielder. You know, one thing I loved about him, and I, I, I talk about this a lot too, I love guys that have that defense that guarantees their spot. And um, Ozuna's a quality defender and really, you know, keeps his spot there with Yelich and Stanton. They've got their three outfielders set because they can all hit and play defense. Well, Zuna last year didn't hit very well, actually got sent out, didn't seem to take kindly to it based on kind of reports that we got that he was, you know, not reacting well to it, certainly not endearing himself to get the call back, but went down there, ended up hitting pretty well, even though he was maybe disgruntled about it, uh, came up, and I think he finished the season strong, or at least better than he'd, than he'd been. But either way, it was a down season, 494 plate appearances of an 89 WRC+. plus. Well, he's back at it this year looking not just like the, the, the 2014 version, which was solid, but uh, you know not over the top, 115 WRC plus with 23 bombs. He's looking way better than that right now. He's got eight homers and 172 plate appearances for Marcelo Zuna. 311 average, 355 on base, 553 slug, giving him a 143 WRC plus. So you know a lot of numbers there, but it's all positive right now for Marcelo Zuna. He looks like he has really – actually, two of their outfielders – look like they've taken uh, that that next step. Of course, that's only covering for the fact that Giancarlo Stanton is not hitting very well um, outside of his 11 homers. Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna are killing it. What about Marcelo Zuna? Still just 25. I think a lot of people were kind of off after last year, though. And I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to have still reinvested in a few leagues, but I certainly don't have as many shares as I did last year. Are you in on this Marcelo Zuna uh, breakthrough so far? Is there anything different, or is this a hot streak? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I was so early on it that I think I lost all my shares in the meantime. And that's the worst part about being a year early, because I went, you know, sometimes people say, "Well, what, what are you, what are you so mad about being a year early? Just stick with them, and you get, well, it, you know, sometimes you kind of move on and you yeah. don't keep all your shares, whether it's a keeper league and you trade them, or you just don't draft them the, the next year around. Again, I got a couple, but I certainly was heavily invested in Marcelo Zuna last year, and I'd be doing backflips if he'd had this kind of these kind of numbers through 42 games. Um, but yeah, like you know, he's young, but I don't see a ton. Of drastic changes in the in the profile is it just that he's back on track from from uh from where he was last year and and emulating more of the 2014 with with some with a hot streak mixed in or is this uh is this just purely a hot streak by the way brett laurie three runs smash off my boy mike clevenger he killed that sorry to get derailed there back to osuna where are we at uh, it is it's and I, I don't I don't blame people or blame myself too hard for for you know moving on because the I think the Marlins were mucking around with them a little bit I'll change that F to an M <laughs> they were mucking around with them a little bit and I think that they uh, they wanted they had an idea of what he should be doing probably either a hitting coach thing or uh, organizational philosophy you know it's the kind of thing that you saw with Carlos Gomez hit it on the ground except. No, you're actually a power hitter. Or, um, you know, if you look at uh, if you look at their prized possession, Christian Yelich, uh, I think that you see maybe what they think of as an ideal approach, which is is fine. It works really well for Yelich, but I don't think Ozuna is necessarily the same guy. So, you know, the, if you look at what he's done, he he came up and pulled the ball a lot 
And, you know, then they, they had him sort of calm that down and his oppo percentage went up the, the next couple of years. But uh, while his oppo percentage went up, his ground ball rate went up. So oppo ground balls are fine. They're better than, you know, uh, an oppo ground ball is better than an oppo fly ball. So putting that into a skill set is, is fine. That's a, that's a good thing. That makes you cover the plate. However, when you pull the ball, you don't want to pull it on the ground. You, and it's sort of what we talk about when we say that launch angles are as important as exit velocity. So, you know, last year, Marcelo Zuna only spent one week with a with an exit velocity under 90 miles an hour. Yeah, so he, he hit the ball. He hit the ball really hard, except he hit the ball on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he pulled a ton of balls and pulled a ton of balls into shifts and just into into gloves. And uh, so for him to, you know, spend that time trying to to go oppo with ground balls, even though it's useful. The best news is that this year he's finally got that to one ground ball per fly ball, basically. And uh, and he's still hitting the ball hard, just n- has not yet spent a week um, with, a, with a number under uh, 90. So he's definitely still a guy who hits the ball hard. He's just now better at hitting the ball in the air. So All right. Um, well, we're still seeing some I, availability in, in, in shallower leagues. I'm looking at Yahoo right now, uh, and he's a 76%. Uh, ownership rate, which you know, when when you're when you're up at a certain level, I think a lot of times the the remaining balance can just be a lot of dead leagues or, or you know maybe really really small leagues, eight, eight or or even maybe ten teams. I guess he he could be on the fringe. ESPN exclusively, their main game type is ten teams. I shouldn't say exclusively, but their their main game type is ten teams. So and he's at seventy two percent. So you know there is some availability. I understand that a lot of our listeners that are going to be in leagues that are of a certain depth where he's probably going to be on a roster. So it's more of a, do you keep him or go try to buy him? Or is this just a, uh, is, is there a sell situation at all with Marcelo Zuna? No, I mean, at 25 years old, I think you might try to do sort of an undercover buy where you talk to them about his BABIP and um, I don't know, Try to say something about that 365 Babbitt, how he's in their grass and he strikes out too much. Or just include him where where, where you give a big player. You know, usually I like to get the best player in the deal, but sometimes I'm okay getting two really quality players for the big player. So if you're offering up the big prize where he's focused on the shiny object, you're like, I'll take Marcelo Zuna. Um, along with the the pitcher, you know, you're getting the pitcher as the main piece back for your. Ryan Braun or whatever the case may be, and then yeah, and throw me throw me Ozuna too. So we so I, I got an outfielder to go with there. Um, sometimes I like and to I do that as well. Back or something, yeah, like a two for two or you yeah, know, you give, give me my worst like... pitcher. You give me Ozuna. You're getting the best player in the deal, but I I need to fill a couple holes there. I'm doing you a favor because I don't like to and go then... in trashing the guy I want. You know, so I don't want to yeah. say. You know, look at that, look at that strikeout rate and that Babbitt that's going to come down, but I'll take that off your hands. I, I, it's more of a, listen, I'm going to give you this really great player, but uh, let me just get a couple guys here because i got to plug some holes, and Ozuna can be one of them. So I'm, I am out buying. I'm, I'm interested in buying. I don't see a ton of skills growth, but I liked his skill set the last couple years enough that I don't need a major skills jump to feel comfortable that Ozuna can chase down the upper 20s in home runs with good RBIs and runs totals because that lineup is actually playing well and even a quality batting average. Not necessarily thinking that 311 is going to hold, but 280 I think is, is doable, and I'll take that with 28 homers and 
97 ribbies, you know, something another, like that. Another situation that could be uh, useful is that it's always, you know, I'm in a, in a cell situation in, in a couple leagues uh, where I'm trying to rebuild a little bit. And it's always really tempting um, to, you know, sell for uh, the best prospects because they have, you know, such shiny, just shiny resumes. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, a lot of those best prospects are going to spend those first three years doing what Marcelo Zuna did. That's so, all. you know, going to get Ozuna at 25 years old, you know, if you're trading Miguel Cabrera, you know, take a lesser prospect. Instead of getting Brandon Rogers and uh, and Julio Urias, you know, take Marcelo Zuna and you know, Mike Clevenger or something, you know, like take a, take a couple lesser prospects because you still want to take those shots in the dark. Yeah, Take the ones that, um, you know, they were, they were big prospects. They've been around, but they're, they're closer. And then you don't have to go through those hard years. And I think a lot of times we forget that because, you know, the guy w- w- that we can dream on, like, Oh man, what if he comes up and he's freaking uh, Chris Bryant right away or Noah Syndergaard, but that is so rare. And so if yeah, you look go- at, look at Barrios this year, yep. Yep. Uh, look at Buxton. Uh, just look at a lot of the guys that are that are you know we're supposed to hit right away and supposed to pitch right away. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to you know pick on the twins there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot those, those are both twins. But uh, you know, it's it's sorry, it's it's the truth right now. It's 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 even my man. I love Michael Fulmer, but you know he had to, he was going to take some lumps and uh, he's only had you know, the I, one great game. It was it was his last time out against uh, against the Rays and he looked good. But, you know, he's been taking lumps otherwise. Even someone like you mentioned, Clevenger, I thought he looked great in that first start until the sixth inning. And then this start right now, guess what happened? Um, it was in the fifth inning. Gives up that three-run bomb to uh, to Brett Laurie. It, it, it's real, it, newsflash. It's really difficult to pitch in the majors. It, it, it's it's yeah. that simple. And and so when we see somebody like a Syndergaard, he jumps out. And it's so impressive because of how difficult it is to be so good right away. Yeah. All right. Yeah, next so. up, we got one more hitter here, and then we'll jump over to some some pitchers. This guy's been pretty interesting because, uh, you know, coming into the season, it was clear that he was going to get a chance at least at, at at a couple months of playing time because the guy who's who is supposed to replace Jonathan VR, Orlando Arcia, you know, there's no reason for Milwaukee to rush him up. So, okay, you got a twenty another guy who's 25 years old. Uh, you know, was a prospect for sure. Actually, did some decent things. From a counting category standpoint, back in 2014, when he when he hit seven bombs and stole 17 bases in just 87 games for Houston, uh, but then last year couldn't really get anything going in 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 fits and starts over 128 plate appearances. Okay, triple slash, but nothing else really to show for. This year, it looked like okay, playing time is going to be there. Can he do something? And so far, he is. The pop that we've seen in the past hasn't really been there with just a single home run, but 14 stolen bases. Now, there's a little bit of caveat with it for Jonathan VR. He's 14 of 20, and those six caught stealings are the most in the majors. But he's treading right on the line of uh, of okay. You know, and, and too many more caught stealings, and you're going the wrong way, and you're you're negative, and they might put the yellow light on him. But again, it's also a bad team. Do they really have to, you know, be overly focused on his success rate? Also has shortstop eligibility, which is huge. Um, that's all he's got, unless you're playing like a 10-game qualification, because then he might have third base from last year. But either way, he's at the he's at the one of the rarest positions anyway. What do you think of Jonathan VR, and how long of a leash does he have? Do you think Orlando Arcia comes up this summer to take the job from him, or does he get a real chance to kind of hold it all year? 
you know, I, I think that, that's a really saber team now with the 28-year-old, you know, NBA GM type uh, running it in Stern. So I think that they'll uh, they'll see that they don't really need to start Arcia's clock, and uh, they might as well see if uh, you know they can get a, a 600 plate appearance type season out of VR, even if they you know tend to move him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, having a full season on his resume will make him a better asset. Um, you know, I guess he could be a candidate for being moved uh, at the deadline if he thinks that, you know, he could get a bunch back for him. But I think that he's played his way into a starting role wherever he goes. So he'd, he'd be, you know, traded to a team that had like a massive injury at, at shortstop or something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and really and really needed him to play. So I think he's going to play all year. Uh, that's that was one question going in. Is it you know how many played appearances for the year? I think he's shown enough that he's, you know, especially with the, the uh, walk rate uh, going up to, you know, sort of peak peak VR uh, level walk rate, um, you know, and being backed up by uh, changes in swing rate where he's really cut down on his reach rate and really cut down on his swing rate in general. Um, so I, I think that uh, that means that he can be a top-of-the-lineup guy. You know, he's, he's got the 382 OBP now, projected for 320, but that doesn't sort of include, I think, some of those swing rate changes. So I think he can be... a 330, 340 OBP guy with speed, which, you know, there aren't a lot of guys like that, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, so even if he gets traded, I think he gets traded as an everyday bat. And then the other part of this is, you know, that high BABIP, yeah, it's a little bit high, uh, 398, uh, career 338. But one thing that he's really tapped into is that sort of D Gordon uh, approach where he's really started to go oppo a lot more and slap the ball on the ground. So, you know, it's not... 18.5% fly balls is not going to give him a lot of homers. He might hit two or three on the year. Um, so you have to walk back some of the projection there, I think. Uh, but if it does get him back up to like a 350 OBP uh, and more of a 280 type batting average going forward, then I think as fantasy players will take it because, you know, he wasn't. And I think even real life managers would take it because he wasn't going to maybe hit more than 10 home runs mm-hmm. in a good year. Yeah. This uh, this approach makes the most out of his skills as an on-base guy and a, and a speedster. So, uh, you know, there is definitely enough risk for him to be a little bit borderline in mixed leagues because he's got that 25% strikeout rate, which is, you know, actually one of the better outcomes he could have had. And projections have him as like a kind of a 240 guy going forward. But with, you know, with the lack of steals in the game today, I do think he's a mixed leaguer. I mean, yeah, I think even if just... Even if he just did what he was projected to do, he would hit 240 with five homers and 20 stolen bases. And I can't imagine that at shortstop, that's not a top 12, a top 12 guy. So yeah, you're getting you're getting all those stolen bases, like you said, the rarity of stolen bases these days. I I, I think you got I think you got to sign up for that in mixed leagues, even if the average comes down. Now I don't say this to disparage you, but I feel like you're you've been higher on 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 Matt Shoemaker than I have in the past. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> not saying high. I'm saying higher. Um, and I think even with this I, year's numbers, you were ready to to go ahead and move off. But he's had a couple of impressive starts lately, back to back good starts, including a really really good one over the weekend against a, a tough Baltimore crowd uh, crew. And anytime I see, you know, there's certain teams this year already that have kind of established themselves as offensive juggernauts. And when a team can have or 
when a pitcher can have a big start against them, you take a little bit of notice. You know, if someone shuts down the Red Sox, I'm like, okay, cool, I'll, I'll give a second look. When you go seven and a third scoreless with three hits, 12 strikeouts, no walks against Baltimore, cool. It might just be your best start of the year, and I've uh, you know taken to saying this a lot this year, but even fifth starters are going to have a handful of really good starts all year. If you if you can last for for 25 plus starts in the majors, and and you know you, you manage even a high or excuse me a low fives high fours ERA, that's still going to have a, a handful of really good starts in there. So just because he's had a couple good ones doesn't mean that he's fixed or, or different. But I want to ask you, are we seeing anything different with back to back decent starts, including one really good one for Matt Shoemaker, or is it just a couple of his best starts for the year? He, he's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that I was so high on him that I'd like, you know, chopped him up and inhaled him or anything. No, but, no, you, did, you didn't. I mean, no. You smoked but him a little I, bit, I was, but it was, just, you didn't just, even no, inhale. Just a little smoke. Um, the, uh, the, the thing with him has always been that, you know, his bendy stuff is good, but his fastball is bad. I mean, he's like the king of bad, bad fastball guys. And um, so what I like about what he's done it's it's actually sort of extreme. What I like about what he's done in the last couple of weeks is he stopped throwing his fastball a little bit. In fact, he really stopped throwing his fastball. And it sucks. It sucks. It sucks but so bad. In the last <laughs> let me do raw. I want to do raw. I think this will be this will sound good as raw pitch counts here. Oh yeah, look at that. In his last uh, outing against Baltimore, he threw 28 fastballs. He threw 44 split fingers. <laughs> He threw 23 sliders. So he almost threw more everything on a, like, yeah, he almost didn't even throw 33% fastballs, basically. So it's, it's an amazing idea. And it seems born of desperation. It's not one he's ever done before. He's never thrown 40 split fingers in a game. And, uh, and now he's done it twice in a row. I like that split finger, though. So frankly, I, 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 yeah. I, don't, I don't hate it because it, he seems to have Shoemaker seems to have this threshold too uh, in terms of vertical relocation in the zone. And when he reaches a, above a certain level, it is like an automatic home run or at least a ringing double. And anything below that can be a whiff or, or weak contact for, for an easy ground ball out. But once he hits just a little bit above that zone, and it's usually the lower third of the zone, maybe a little bit into the middle, but anything in that middle and up, usually toast. Yeah. And, I, and so I tried to, I looked at our heat maps for the last two games for his changeup usage and was thinking, well, maybe he was throwing it in the zone and trying to like do, because I've actually heard other pitchers kind of use that as, as a, as a strategy. The, um, uh, Ho, Ho Peralta, the, the guy who was uh, pitching in the Dodgers bullpen last time we saw him actually talked about throwing high split fingers and having people think they were hanging splitters oh, and, uh, and using those to basically call, uh, get called strikes. Yeah. Steal some strikes, steal the strikes with it. But I'm looking at his zone rate for his changeup and he just, he was burying them. I mean, I guess he was catching, you know, the zone on a few of them, but um, it was mostly out of the zone. So, I don't know how he got ahead. Maybe it's the slider. Let's look at the slider usage the last couple of games. Because if he maybe he's using the slider to get ahead uh, and throwing that in the zone. Um, yeah, I suppose that's near the corner of the zone. But he must have just gotten a few strike ones and then just been split finger, split finger, split finger. <laughs> because uh, I don't uh, I don't see 
what he was getting strikes with otherwise. You know, I mean, it's not like the split finger is one you can use for strikes. So that's why, even though he's done something that's different, it's not something you can really rely on, I don't think. Yeah, okay. Well, not, so not even not, you're not even dating uh, Matt Shoemaker? I think we were da- <laughs> we were dating Steve Pierce, but we're not even dating Matt Shoemaker? I think that that's... Yeah, I'm not even steeping him in my tea right uh, now. I, I, don't, I don't blame you. I don't, no edibles either? <laughs> okay okay i know i know where we are we're not smoking we're not snorting we, we out we out uh this guy much better i mean well i guess uh, you know i, I have I, like i have him in an 18 team that i haven't been starting him and it's like one of those you know 40 man roster type 18 team leagues you know i have him on the bench and i'll watch him a little bit yeah, no and way you he... would have felt good to start him against baltimore though like there's there was no right. scenario where you're like well now i gotta get him in he's facing baltimore I saw that Dodgers game and was like, you know, that's when I thought about dropping him because I was like, well, if I'm not going to start him, you know, in an NL park against an NL team, then what what the heck is he doing on my roster? Mm-hmm. But after that Baltimore game, he bought himself a couple weeks where I'll just watch that split finger usage and see if he's got something going with that. See if he's going to keep not using his fastball. I think that's the best bet for <laughs> Shoemaker. Let's talk some uh, Jimmy Nelson, a guy who's, who is much better. Um you know, he he brought that curveball into play last year, and and it certainly helped. It didn't didn't revolutionize his numbers, but it, it it made him more palatable. And now this year, Jimmy Nelson has really cut into his uh, his platoon split. In fact, I think he's actually neutral so far this year in terms of combating lefties. And that's used to be, I mean, that's been his issue is handling lefties with any capability. And now he's got a 19 point split that might as well be neutral because uh, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty negligible there with a 686 OPS against lefties, 667 against righties home run ball. Still a little bit of an issue uh, for J- Jimmy Nelson. He's at, he's at 1.2. Actually it's, it's been on the rise and I don't know if that's related to the extra curveball usage. Maybe he's hanging some of them. Uh, he cut the curveball usage. He's actually gone a little bit more back to his fastball. Um, but what do we what do we see in here from him? There's some intriguing spots and then some not so intriguing spots. Like I said, you know, I like that he's cut into the lefty uh, usage or uh, lefties beaten up on him. But then the swinging strike rates down and the home runs are up. So I'm I'm a little bit torn on Jimmy Nelson, but for the most part, I still think he's pretty useful in most league formats. I just don't know that we're gonna see more than maybe like a mid three ZRA. So the 307 that he has right now, I expect to go up. Where are you currently on Jimmy Nelson? Well, I mean, the good news is that his strikeout minus walk percentage, which is, you know, one of the best small sample things to use with pitchers, is actually better against lefties than righties this year. Oh, wow. Okay. The bad news is it's it's below average against both. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you really set me up there. That was good. That was and, good. And then, the good news, bad news thing. You got me really hyped on the good news, and then you and then you smashed me down well, with the and, bad news. And then the, the extra bad news is that he's giving up 1.7 homers per nine against lefties. So he hasn't. While he, and he has a 209 Babbitt. Now those are kind of related because you know homer home doesn't count yeah. Babbitt. But uh, it's still the Babbitt is help helping him suppress his uh, earned run numbers and his um, even his woba. You know because if you look at his weighted on base for average. You kind of say, oh, he has a 303 against lefties, 293 against righties. He's doing really well. But, you know, what would it doesn't regress for Babbitt or anything. So it's just all balls in play, which is what's happened with them. If you look at his FIP against lefties, it's 522. Uh, XFIP is 421. I mean, I, I'm pretty happy with what he's done for me in 
in the leagues where I took a chance on that curveball. Mm-hmm. But the swing strike rate is down, and you know he's got that home run problem that we were always worried about. And um, you know the Babbitt could go the other way, so I, I don't see that he necessarily is doing things that usually lead to like super soft contact. Like he doesn't have like a 60% ground ball rate. He has a slightly above average ground ball rate. And he, you know, he does have good velocity, but he doesn't have like 97, 98 mile an hour velocity that can, that can suppress Babbitt. So, uh, he's more like, uh, I think a slightly above average pitcher, um, that's, uh, gonna, you know, more, you know, sort of fall his way to the back of that Brewers rotation over time. But, and never be quite the ace that they wanted him to be, but you know, but decent. And you know, with this curve and the slider, good enough to to you know pitch you know six innings at a time. But I just don't see the same kind of things that got me excited before. I, mm-hmm. I would want to see that that swing strike rate back at ten percent. I'd really want to see like eight Ks per nine. Uh, I'd want him to see you know a, a, a better than average walk rate instead of a worse than average one. Um, you know, the home run rate, you can look past because a home run here or there, and that changes that a big, a lot, but, um, the, the rest of the package is, uh, is only okay. You know, I just, uh, I, I think if, if someone were willing to buy them off you, I'd, I'd let them take them, you know, I'd, I'd sell, I guess, basically. I think that's fair. I, th- I think that, you know, there's been some decent things, but I, again, I don't see a, a massive upside for Jimmy Nelson. In fact, I see that ERA regressing, so I- I'm cool with a sell as well. Maybe somebody is investigating and they see just the the OPS differences there, which is what I saw. I didn't for, I didn't deep dive, and uh, yeah. and they get hyped, and they want to take them off your hands. Go ahead and let them. Uh, now, this next guy, if I had him, and I don't, I'd definitely be willing to sell him. I'm just not a believer in Alex Wood, but I can't deny what he's doing. And I'm afraid of getting tricked again because I got a little bit tricked after 2014. I said, you know what? I don't like this guy's mechanics. I don't know how he can possibly have command, but he did it for 171 and two-thirds innings. Maybe I'm the one who's wrong. So, you know, started to kind of dip my toe into the Alex Wood pool last year, and it did not go well. Well, now he's back and nine starts in. It's looking a lot. It's looking a lot like the uh, the 2016 version, except with a little bonus of the added ground ball rate that he, he he seemed to gather with the Dodgers last year. When he got moved from Braves to Dodgers, his his ground ball rate went up 10 percentage points to 56%. Uh, you know, strikeouts still stayed pretty ugly. It, it was just bad last year. 18% with the Braves, 17% with the Dodgers. Well, he's back up to 25% this year, even though there's not a commensurate swinging strike rate to go with it. Uh, in fact, when he had 25% strikeout rate in 14, Alex Wood had a pretty pedestrian 10 percent swing strike rate so that's not new um i'm, I'm torn I, i'm i'm left not knowing what to make of it so i'm leaning on the side that it's uh it's not that believable but uh maybe maybe you'll tell me differently on alex wood should, should we be buying in on on these skills that he's showing and, and believing that the 403 era that he has is headed is going to continue to head downward because that's built up off of a few early bad starts, but lately Alex Wood has been pitching a lot better and and chiseling into that ERA. Is it is it for real or is it something that's going to turn back the other way soon? I I've I've been on the same yo-yo and it's difficult and it's partially because you know it does like I've said it, it looks like a a toddler melting down on the mound. I mean, it doesn't look like a, a delivery. It looks like a, looks like a, 
fire like some sort of fireworks going off or doug thorburn is taking a calling him the tasmanian devil and i really like that one. yeah it's just the whirling dervish type thing he's right and and the um it doesn't look good and i think that's led to something that might be a bigger deal that might manifest itself later uh because we've seen his arm slot drop over time pretty precipitously Mm -hmm. and his, his vertical release point dropped almost a foot, I'd say three quarters of a foot uh, in since he started uh, pitching um, in, in 2013. So, you know, I think that stuff is a long-term concern and, uh, and that'll, that'll be a thing that will show up later and something that you need to think about in keeper leagues. But the nice point, the thing is that he really focused on that arm slot in this off season and he actually brought it back up to where it was when he debuted. So, you know, I think that has allowed him to get more depth on his pitches. And you can see uh, his curveball is getting, you know, I think another inch or so of drop this year. Um, and um, his four seam and, or his sinker is getting more rise. Now, it's hard to know if that's useful for him um, in terms of, of whiffs, but you know, the four, because he's more of a sinker guy. Um, but it has led to more whiffs, and it led, it's, it made him basically look like he looked when he first came into the league. I mean, in terms of strikeout rate, swing strike rate, walk rate, ground ball rate, he basically looks like the old Alex Wood. Now, he might have been getting a little bit lucky as the old Alex Wood when it came to home runs, um, and so you know you have to think about that. But even if you look back to 2014, uh, he had a .84 home runs per nine. Right now he's .88. You know, he had a 9.7 swing strike rate back then. He's a 9.8 now. He had nine strikeouts per nine back then. He's 9.6 now. So I think, you know, with a plus-plus framer behind the plate and this the old arm slot that he had and all the ground ball rate, and, you know, he, he added a little bit of velocity, I think, probably because of that release that release point. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, now he's to, got... to 90 and a half. Yeah, now he's got an average velocity for a lefty. He's got a plus sinker. And uh, I would say a plus curve and a decent change. So, I mean, all the pieces are there. You know, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily like the two seven eight ERA guy that he was in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't really. You know, I guess he stranded a lot of runners that year. He had an eight percent strand rate. It's not a number you hear for us talk about, about a lot. But it, you know, that sort of thing does regress usually to seventy percent. So, um, that that was the one thing that sort of gave him some luck that year. But I do think he can be a mid threes ERA guy. You know, and okay. uh, pair that with a 50% ground ball rate and, you know, eight strikeouts per nine. It's that's it's a good pitcher, actually. It's just not one that, you know, I'd want to, you know, rely on for years. You know, it, it is it's one that I would want to hold on for, you know, a few more starts this year, get that year rate down and then and then sell him if I was rebuilding or, you know, if I needed a piece for for a run this year. Okay. But not uh, not. But in like redraft leagues, why not? I think he's a I think he's a pickup. I'm still staying away, but everything you said is, is, is believable to me. Uh, what do you what What do you just focus on his command or whatever? And yeah, and... yeah it, it's a situation where I, I don't dispute anything you said. It, it's yeah. um, what even if it lasts for another three months, I just don't want to deal with the the wondering when when's it gonna when's it gonna fall apart? Is it gonna fall apart? Is the arm slot gonna drop again? There are right. positive factors. The, the thing that you mentioned that I didn't mention was the, you know, getting um, 
Yasmani Grandal, you know, and and I like the ground ball rate improvement. I like that his strikeout rate is back up. I just, I don't know. It, it, sometimes you just have guys that you don't you don't really care for that much in terms of their skills and what they do, and so you don't want to deal with the hassle, even if it's available on your your waiver wire for free. Um, you know, I, yeah. I'm not going to be so blind as to say if I have if he's available in a league and I need pitching, I'm not just going to universally say hell to the no. But by and large, I'd have to go out and buy him right now as opposed to picking him up on the wire, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, by the way, Odabel Herrera just had an amazing at-bat against Mike Pelfrey. Oh, With, we, we also have... Oh, breaking news. What do we got? What do we got? Off the wire. I've got some news off the wire here, off the wire. I, I, I hear that. They are disabling Drew Stubbs in Texas and Joey Gallo. Young up to the big leagues and we will get to see him with 50 percent of the time <laughs> can't wait at least. i can't wait can't no wait. actually uh he's improved his aside, rate at, at the minors this yeah. year is there is there any yeah. believability to that let's go ahead and talk about him great great breaking news probably the you know the best strikeout rate of his career in the minors this year uh paired with the best walk rate so you know this is the this is the time we get to see what he's going to do and we get to see it pretty fast because um, Chew and Stubbs on the DL at the same time. Yeah, and Chew, Chew like stuck his head out and was like, "No, no, no, I'm, I'm injured." God, that sucked. <laughs> it was the very first day. He's like, "I'm back." Oh no, guys, I gotta go. I gotta oh, go. No, this, this thing hurts. Uh, th- this hurts way too bad, and I don't want Lugie <laughs> to punch me, so I'm out. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I, gotta, I gotta bounce. Um, we're gonna close talking about uh, uh, one one little topic here. Well, oh, sorry, well, I guess... Gallo first, and then we got your trade potential to discuss well so i guess uh gallo's chance here is in the outfield um mazara desmond are locked in for the most part uh rule can can uh platoon with mazara uh that leaves right field pretty much wide open uh and you know as unbelievable as it might seem now gallo uh i think could fend off Chu to some extent because we know that Josh Hamilton's out of the picture now. Yes, he's done for the season. Uh, not saying he's retiring yet, but he is saying that uh, he's going to undergo some surgery and he's done for the year. Right. And then, you know, Prince Fielder could have uh, some sort of health issue. I mean, he's had the neck issue in the past. So, you know, there's a little bit of risk there at DH that, you know, something's wrong there. And uh, that that could be a place that Gallo could go when Chu comes up. And then we've just seen from Chu that he's pretty fragile. So they could elect to keep Gallo up and sort of be not necessarily a platoon, but like, a you know, a, a working partner with Shinsu Chu mm-hmm. and uh, and get enough plate appearances uh, for them to keep him up in the big leagues and, and, and play him between right field and D.H., um, in sort of a reverse Moreland situation. Okay. They used to they used to do that with Mitch Moreland a lot. You scooping so in I've, all leagues just because of the upside? In most leagues, if you're power starved, I don't think that there's another there's a better. But you gotta you gotta play a little bit of the would you rather I think okay. because um, with outfielders then. Yeah. Well, let me see here. I think he's a third baseman. Well, here's the thing. Doesn't he have a weird situation where he didn't play enough games to be qualified anywhere last year? Um, well, Yahoo has, has him at third base. Okay. Oh, yeah, he played 36 games last year. and Yeah, but nothing – no 20s anywhere. It was 19 in the outfield, 15 at third. And you say Yahoo does put him at third? 
Yeah, I think they probably just you know pick something. Oh, or they got go third back and or... they gave him both. He has third and outfield at Yahoo. So so we can play the game That's... with some third basemen. Well, uh, just going on the wire, I've got Justin Turner, uh, David Wright, uh, Eugenio Suarez, uh, Brett Lowry's on my on my uh, dia, on my uh, waiver wire here, uh, Trevor Plouffe. I'm, you know, I wouldn't. I think I'd go with uh, Gallo over all those guys. You know, Justin Turner's power could have been, you know, a one-year, two-year, three-year three year thing. You, you know, he's... You worried about the knee at all with, with Turner? That He had microfracture, and that's usually a, a big injury. Yeah, and the fact that he's even back kind of surprised me. And Yeah, that's that's part of it. And then David Wright injuries a part oh, of it, too. But... Yeah, I'm just, I'm just not there. I, I, I think I would part... take Laurie, Brett Laurie, but um, I think Gallo above the others. Yeah, but Laurie's, Laurie's batting average has started to uh, take the tank we thought it might, so... Um, you know, if the, if their averages are close, you know, it's, uh, maybe you might as well go with the guy with that has the real sort of changing game changing power. Has, I, and that's the big thing with Gallo is that he has the ability to really change the game. If he comes, remember what, I mean, he, he, he started to do it right when he first got up last year, but the strikeouts just caught up to Gallo. I think he had five homers like right away. I'm actually pulling it up now. Yeah. He had five homers within his first 14 games and we're like, Oh God, here it is. And he's hitting 260. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's kind of holding his own. He even, he even chipped into stolen bases, but those strikeouts just, just really started to creep out. Cause even in the midst of that little run during the 14 games, Gallo had a 36% strikeout rate and, and it, it just eventually is going to catch up to you. So the real key is how real that uh, that triple A strikeout rate that he's been having ca- can be yeah. for him, and and if it is something that is legitimate, then yeah, he can he can flip the game on its head and, and make himself an all format okay. kind of play. So let's push it. How about struggling starting third basemen that are on your team right now? Would you drop any of these? Miguel Sano, um, Michael Franco, and Anthony Rendon. I'm not sure what the difference is between he and Sano, so. You know, maybe I'll take the guy on the better team um, because the- I think it would be nice if I had Sano to go get Gallo on my team because I already sort of budgeted for that bad batting average. Exactly. And but I don't know that I would drop Sano. I think that that's so, fair because I don't so think you I have think- to because in any league I think Sano has at least some trade equity because I yeah. think a lot of people will look and say, oh, he's doing at least something within the range of outcomes that I thought he would do. Because he's actually yeah. doing what I what I kind of thought he would do, which was hit for hit way too low of an average and, and have a lot of pop, you know, kind of like a Jack Cust, which yeah. is the name I kept using. And uh, you know, people don't like that because people you know, Jack Cust sucks. Well, no, he doesn't. Well, I think he's probably a little better than that. But I mean, you know, Chris Bryant went out and had some of those, those issues and then changed his launch angle a little bit, and you know, that's been a big deal for him. So he's pretty. Uh, I wouldn't cut him. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm no. just. Kidding. I don't think I cut Michael Franco either. Nope. I like his contact rate. I think there's a little more power, power coming. I think he's a hot Ren- week from nobody asking any more questions about Michael. And Rendon honestly could be too. Because yes, I, I've been saying that as well. Rendon's like hitting the ball pretty hard, um, and you know he's just he's a starter without really a, any question. You know, so to drop a guy like that and with some decent upside in terms of. If he finds that, you know, he had a 186 ISO for a full season in 2014. And yeah, it's only been a 100 ISO ever since. But those neither one of those seasons has been full and injury contributed. And I don't think that necessarily I've heard 
that he's that he's injured currently. So because he's running too, and I, I kind of use that as a as a health meter for Anthony Rendon. Yeah. If if they're letting him run at all, he's got to be feeling okay. Yeah. So and, and five stolen bases. So I, I'm actually not getting rid of any of those guys, but I'm okay. Maybe finagling, like you said, particularly with the Sano piece, finagling cutting somebody else to try to get him. And now I've got both of those guys, and if one of Sano or Gallo really gets going. Great, then I, I'll, I'll I'll play that hot hand. But no, I don't want to I don't want to get rid of any of those three guys just to get Gallo. But um, I think he's somebody that the upside is so high with that power that you want to try to finagle a way to cut somebody in every league format, even a ten team mixed. You know, it might be cutting a name that you're like, dang, that's a pretty good name. But you know, it, don't get married to the names in ten teamers. That's one thing that I've I've had to learn. I don't play a lot of ten teamers, so when I do, I find myself struggling because I see guys on the wire that if they were on the wire in my fifteen team mixed leagues, I I would you know uh, kick an old man in the teeth to, just to get that player. But it's ten teams. It's just it's so different, and so you can't get too precious about names. But those names that you did give, I do think all have enough upside to not be cut. That was Rendon, Sano, and Franco. All right, let's talk about your trade here, and, and then we'll and then we'll get out of here because you're working on a potential deal. I don't know if you if you've uh, executed it yet, but we talked about it a little bit earlier today. You're thinking of moving Dallas Keuchel in an 18 team league because in an 18 team league, somebody the reigning AL Cy Young is going to have some trade equity. But uh, what, what kind of offers are you getting back? What are you looking at? What, what's the story right now? Well, the first offer wasn't quite enough except to show interest, and it was uh, Brett Anderson and Corey Dickerson. And, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because it, Corey Dickerson's a left fielder, and surprisingly, uh, left field is a hard position to, to, to fill. If you if you play in any leagues where left field is, is separated out, you'll know this. Yes, so, and I do play um, in one. And it, it, the, when you play in outfield-specific leagues, they can be a little bit tricky. Yeah, there's little things that happen. And it's not necessarily center field because there are a lot of guys that even have decent bats that play enough center field to sort of to stay there, you know. And like Coco Crisp, for, for me, I was more excited that he got left field eligibility than I cared about a center field eligibility. It, it, it so. was weird coming into the year. I, I remember because uh, there was a podcast I listened to where they talk about league or uh, outfield specific and left field was the one. And I also remember the top 10 shows that, that they did on, um, on MLB. The, the top 10 left field list, Brian Kenny and, and, and whoever he did it with, probably Burns, they was like, mm, this is this is not the sexiest list here. It was, it was It's really interesting. And so that is, a, that is a consideration that you have when you're getting when you're getting offered somebody like Dickerson, who's showing the power, but not much else. Yeah, so I mean, right now my left fielders are Adam Duvall and uh, Cor- uh, Coco Crisp with a little bit of... Um, uh, Chris Coughlin, you know, thrown in. So it's a, it's an iffy crew. It's an on-base percentage league, too. So even though Duvall has been hitting some homers for me, uh, 299 OBP. Also, Duvall is like 28 years old. Yeah, he's, he's um, not, he, not a Protections prospect. really liked him, but he's a, he's a right-hander. He's 28 years old, you know, probably benefiting somewhat from Cincinnati's home park dimensions um, and from being, you know, polished and at his peak. So... Yeah, this, uh, this is the best that we're gonna see out of out of an Adam Duvall, which I thought he could though. You know, give you some decent pop, and if it's if it's an average league, you're obviously liking him a, a bit more for sure. Yeah, so uh, you know, Corey Dickerson is 27, so it's not like he's uh, way younger, but he's shown you know better skills. 
And, uh, you know, I think he's better than what he is right now. So the thing that's that's weird now looking at the projections is the projections for Corey Dickerson have him basically at a 300 OBP, just like Adam Duvall. So, like, I'd basically be buying, like, an Adam Duvall-Corey Dickerson platoon, uh, which is why I've sort of decided that I'd rather have sort of a two-for-two. And now the deal that I'm I'm considering is Keuchel and um, a piece. It was going to be Duvall, but now that I'm looking at uh, Dickerson's projections, I don't know if it can be Duvall. But Duvall, uh, let's say Keuchel and a piece for Dickerson and Eovaldi. So I just have to decide what you know, that piece what, would be, what that piece can be. Um, and I, I'll need to talk to him about if he's a win now guy or win later. But um, I suppose I could consider a Matt Adams uh, addition, but he's been playing better. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit interesting. I, I don't, I don't know that I have to do this, but uh, yes, I, in general, I sort of think of Dallas Keuchel as a sell, um, so I'm I'm interested in this. I mean, he's he definitely is not as bad as he's been right now, but I'm not sure. You know, I'm definitely sure he's not gonna do another 2015. I think in his career, I'm, and uh, now I'm worried that he's not necessarily gonna do another 2014. So yeah, I'm 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 a little bit concerned that he is a little bit like. The, uh, the 2012-2013 version, uh, Jason and I talked a little bit about him yesterday, and when I look at the numbers that he's putting up and the skills, they look a lot like when he was posting five-plus five ERAs. I'm just, I'm just worried. You know, there was a guy, there was, a, there was an analyst out there who was pretty early on, 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 on Keuchel, and, and he took a little bit of heat for it. I, I don't know if you ever heard him. His name is uh, Bino Terris. And he's, good. <laughs> he's, a, he's a big beer fan. Um, you know, to, no, no, I like that guy a lot. I like that guy a whole <laughs> lot. And and he was quick. And he just said, "Listen, I'm not saying well, this know, is I, it." What's happening? You know, is like you know, he used to stretch the zone at the bottom a lot with yeah, that changeup, big time. And you know, people realized that those weren't strikes, and so they stopped swinging at them. And so then he's had to come up with something else. And his idea is a cutter, which did give him whiffs when. People uh, didn't expect it, but now I think people sort of expect the cutter, and he's not a pitcher that has the stuff that's going to go for whiffs and strikeouts and, um, you know, have, you know, last year, I think that was the big anomaly last year was the eight strikeouts for nine against the two walks for nine. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the ground ball rate. So now he has to go back to the ground ball rate, but he has to do it more on the zone, um, which makes him, everything is more hittable in the zone than outside of the zone. So, you know, I, I think, you know, his best way forward is to try and get that ground ball rate back up to 60% and be, um, you know, kind of like a high threes, uh, 1.25 kind of guy, a 1.25 whip kind of guy that relies on the ground ball to get outs, you know. Yeah, I, I think that is is the way right now for Keiko, and he's at 55%, so he does need to get the uh, the ground ball rate up more. And I, you know what? I told the listeners that we weren't going to talk about Dallas Keiko anymore, but then you had a trade come up, so we I had to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, all right. You know, we got to get out of here. We'll be back on Wednesday talking more baseball. Uh, until then, I hope you dominate on, on the court, and uh, I'll talk to you in a couple days. Thanks for listening. <laughs>